Jace here. Before the episode, everybody, I just wanted to remind you all that a Los Angeles Comic-Con is coming up very, very soon. It's going to be taking place the first weekend of December, Friday, December 2nd through December 4th. It's at the Los Angeles Convention Center in downtown LA. This is a fantastic show. There's tons of great cosplay, maybe one of the best cosplay shows outside of San Diego that there is. Uh, this is going to be their biggest year ever, right before Christmas. Great place to go to get uh, gifts for all the people that love comics and uh, anime and toys and crafts and that sort of thing. Huge artist alley. And one of the best things about Los Angeles Comic-Con is the main stage where they have most of the panels, the, the panels with the big stars that you want to see. They all happen on the main stage on the main floor. So you don't miss out on any of those cool panels that you want to go see. And, and you know, while you're shopping, you can be listening. It, it's loud. Uh, you can hear it. The panels that are going to be on the main stage include a Jimmy Neutron 20th anniversary and live script reading with a lot of the cast of Jimmy Neutron. Uh, I love that show back in the day. There's also going to be a Lord of the Rings panel with Sean Astin and Elijah Wood talking about behind the scenes, um, of Lord of the Rings, that trilogy that, that we all loved. Uh, the Boys is going to have uh, a panel there with several of, uh, at least three of the, the cast of The Boys are going to be there. Um, so that's really cool. Also, The Mandalorian is going to have a, a couple of the actors talking about that show. There's a big reunion for The Sandlot, classic film from the 90s. That's going to be on the main stage. And then finally, The Umbrella Academy is also going to be having a uh, panel on the fa uh, main stage along with uh, a lot of other guests that are going to be there. Uh, I think Sumi Luau from the uh, Shang-Chi uh, Shang movie is going to be there. LeVar Burton, Steve Burns from Blue's Clues. So it, it's a real who's who of talent that are going to be there. I highly recommend the show. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. Um, you know, William Shatner, Will Wheaton, uh, in addition to the people I talked about, Charlie Hunnam from S Sons of Anarchy is going to be there. Uh, Elizabeth Berkeley, who many of you know from Saved by the Bell, Amy Jo Johnson from uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So it's a, it's a huge list of guests. And that's not it. We haven't even talked about the comic guests. Uh, Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, Ryan Otley. Uh, the list goes on and on. There's going to be so many great people there. I'm going to be there. Um, I'll have swag with me to give away as always. So again, really recommend you guys uh, check it out. There's still badges available. Remember, it's December 2nd through the 4th, so Friday through Sunday. Uh, Friday's uh, a little bit of an abbreviated day. It goes from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m., Saturday from 9.30 to 7, and then Sunday from 9.30 to 5. So as I said, great show, highly recommended. Hope to see you all there. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace, here today to talk about a new DC title that just dropped uh, sort of a long time coming, but I have the writer of the series, Blue Beetle Graduation Day, Josh Trujillo, joining me. Josh, thanks for taking the time. Oh, of course. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I mentioned a, a long time coming. This uh, 
project was originally one of the uh, DC round robin titles that fans could could vote on. Didn't win, but apparently you did a, such a good job pitching it that we're, uh, we're able to enjoy it anyway. It has seen the light of day. So uh, was this uh, a concept that you came up with specifically for the round robin uh, competition? Was it something else? Give us a little bit of background on uh, the impetus of this project. Yeah, um, I guess we've been kind of talking about doing Blue Beetle for a number of years now. And uh, the there's just about timing, figuring out like when on the publishing schedule, it might make sense. And then like, was it going to be a one shot? Was it going to be an annual? Like, how are we going to do it? And then the round robin competition presented itself, which um, your listeners might know that like it's a bracket style elimination tournament. The winner gets to do a six issue miniseries with their pitch. And so it was me and Adrian Gutierrez doing Blue Beetle against some really talented creators. And so we made it to the semifinals and we that was as far as we got. Um, so we thought the project was kind of dead and this happens to pitch it. So it's not insane. But uh, about a year later, we were contacted by Andrew Marino and we're told that we got the green light. So that was amazing. But uh, as for the story itself, it's kind of taken a few forms. We definitely kind of tweaked and adjusted things since the round robin competition. But we just wanted to find like a really interesting place for Jaime to go forward since he's kind of been, you know, out of the spotlight for a few years. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit again, as Josh mentioned, this is a, a Jaime Reyes story. A Ted Cord shows up in the second issue and I, that's as far as I've, I've been able to read, but you know, maybe it seems like he's going to be a part of the, the series going forward. We'll talk a little bit about that, but yeah, focusing on Jaime Reyes, the latest uh, blue beetle teenage hero in the DC universe, dealing with uh, everything that comes with that graduating high school as the, the title indicates. But I want to ask you, Josh, about, you know, you're of Hispanic heritage you know, what does it mean for you uh, growing up as a young reader to not really see a lot of Hispanic characters? And and now that's changing. There's more diversity in the heroes. Um, so it seems like you have kind of a personal connection here to uh, to Jaime. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like I kind of grew up alongside Jaime in a lot of ways. You know, when he first appeared, there was kind of a, a lack of that diversity. We didn't I don't think we had Miles Morales. We didn't have a lot of these characters that we kind of Kamala Khan. Um, so this was kind of a breath of fresh air coming from DC at the time. And I was a big fan of, like you mentioned, the Ted Cord character, the Blue Beetle mantle. And so to see someone kind of follow in those footsteps was really exciting to me because it was, this was all building up out of the infinite crisis event that they had way back when. And so this just felt like the biggest thing in the DC universe at the time was, was Jaime Reyes. And I still think it is. Yeah. He had his uh, series that came after the new 52, uh, but as you mentioned, he hasn't really been around for the last few years, but it, it seems like now the, the spotlight, the pendulum is swinging. And, and this happens. This isn't anything to do with Jaime as a character himself, but it's just DC has such a huge stable of characters. They can't all have you know their own title at, at the same time. But it does seem like he's going to be a bigger part. Jaime's going to be a bigger part of the DC universe going forward. So does that feel like a big responsibility that, you know, here's his his uh, six issue miniseries and you're kind of setting him up moving forward? Any pressure? Yeah, I'd say there's a little bit of pressure for sure. You know, you want to get it right by um, not just uh, DC fans, but also these new fans that are going to come in specifically because of Jaime. You know, he's appeared in the Young Justice cartoon. He's appeared on Smallville, Brave and the Bold, even the Injustice video games. I have had people come up to me that just know Jaime from the video games. And they're like, am I going to be lost 
having played Injustice. And I'm like, no, this is definitely new reader friendly. Like you can hop on board right now and get your total feel for Jaime. But just like personally, you know, you want to do right by the character. I, like I said, I grew up alongside kind of that John Rogers, Keith Giffen, Coley Hamner run. And this is definitely kind of like a love letter, a spiritual successor to that in a lot of ways. Yeah, but you definitely uh, are establishing that that he is a character of of you know Latin descent, of Hispanic descent. Um, so I, I, I myself am as well, uh, and and obviously you are. And there are certain tropes I think that go along with that, but they're not so different than what any other you know family expects of their of, of their teenage you know their teenagers, right? Like be successful, have a job, and. and Jaime, for lack of a better term, is a little bit directionless when he, you know, he's graduated high school. The superhero stuff's great, but he's got to have something, you know, outside of that. And and we see that in the first issue. His parents and his family are kind of coming down on him because he doesn't really have a plan. Um, talk a little bit about about that, establishing that and, and giving it that kind of authentic feel, uh, because one thing that's true. And again, this isn't just uh, Hispanic families and Hispanic culture, but certainly in this culture family's a huge deal. Everybody's up in everybody's business, which can be both good and bad, uh, but you definitely get that feel with uh, the storyline that you you guys are putting out there. Yeah, you know, Jaime has the best uh, supporting cast in comics as far as I'm concerned. He's got his friends, Paco and Brenda, and he's got his big family, uh, Bianca and Berto, and then, of course, his sister, Milagro. But uh, I wanted to put family front and center in the book. As you know, you read issue two, so you see that even though family, so they love him so much, they kick him out of the house, right. which I think a lot of us can relate to. Uh, I definitely felt a little, uh, a little directionless coming out of high school and unsure of my next steps. So I think a lot of people, especially now, can relate to it. And Jaime coming out of Dark Crisis, coming out of Lazarus Planet, it just made a lot of sense for him to under, not really know what his his next big decision is going to be. And so, um, you know, to speak, I kind of to my kind of heritage. Uh, this is this is commonplace, you know. This is commonplace in my family. You know, uh, they're always going to be there for me, but they want they want me to go out on my own and create something of my own. And so that was something I wanted to really instill into the book. Yeah, and again, it it, it rings true because there is uh, that tough love. And, and and again, I can only speak to my own experience, uh, having grown up in a Hispanic family, and and that is something I didn't necessarily see my white friends. Not not to say that white families don't can't have tough love too, but. It certainly was something that I uh, dealt with growing up. And it sounds like you as well, Josh. Yeah. You know, uh, Jaime is like a second generation Mexican-American. I think there's a lot of pressure for uh, people growing up in that environment. And definitely you, uh, Jaime has been instilled with a huge work ethic by his parents in general. And so just for me to get him out in the working world was maybe a little more interesting than throwing him directly into college. Yeah. And the other aspect of that, that kind of manifests itself you know, that culture, that upbringing, um, that idea of, of working hard and self-sacrifice, it kind of speaks to Jaime's heroism too, like why he chooses to use the scarab, why he, he chose to be a hero, you know, rather than go to the, to the other side of the street. Um, and he's getting tough love, not only we see in the first issue from his family, but also from his his Justice League family, so to speak. They, they kind of ground him. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Jaime saved the world more times than we can count. You know, you always see him in the background or sometimes in, in, in the mix of things when there's a big event. So he's no stranger to, to heroism. But, uh, you know, uh, with the new threat of the reach approaching, I think it makes sense to the hero community to kind of put Jaime on the back burner, kind of make sure they keep him somewhere safe where they can see him. Um, just because they're unsure of what this new threat really is. 
and I think for Jaime, it really cuts him off at the legs in a lot of ways. He's always relied on his hero identity for a lot of confidence, for a lot of his identity. And to kind of lose that, I think, is something that's really interesting to see with him. Yeah. And again, it kind of puts him in a, in a relatable place, right? Like you were mentioning at, after uh, high school, he's not necessarily going to college, but he always had that that hero identity fall back on. Now that's taken uh, away from him as well. So we, we see in the first issue um, that his parents say, yeah, you're going to go work for your aunt at her restaurant in, uh, uh, is it Palmera City? Is that yeah, Palmera City. Yeah, Palmera City. And then uh, we see that come to fruition in, in issue two. So you're getting a chance to add to kind of the mythological geography here with a new city uh, in the DC universe. And it's a really interesting city that you've uh, created. It's kind of described in the, in the second issue as being so, such a dichotomy of, of location, right? There's a court industries there. It's kind of this technological hub. Uh, but at the same time, there's some real older parts of the city that kind of lean into the, the heritage. How much fun was it adding to the, the geography of the DCU. And hopefully we'll see more of uh, Palmer City moving forward. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely see a lot more Palmer City in this miniseries and hopefully beyond. But uh, it was a thrill to find uh, a place on the DC map to really create and flesh out. Uh, it was important to kind of give Jaime his own his own superhero metropolis in a sense. El Paso is always going to be there for him. But I think as he moves into adulthood, it was good to take him out of his, his comfort zone. And so Palmera City, like you said, is kind of it's a tale of two cities. There's the hub. It's kind of it's, it's a Silicon Valley on the Gulf Coast is kind of how I'm saying it. But uh, there's also like old, old uh, roots. It's a lot like uh, San Antonio, where my family is. And so um, just kind of splitting the difference there. Jaime is always torn between two worlds, whether it's a hero identity and being a teenager, whether it's being an alien or being a human, whether it's being in the Spanish speaking world, the English speaking world. And so Jaime is definitely at a crossroads. And so is Palmera City. Yeah, it's kind of a good analog for him. You, you mentioned something there that I want to come back to about you know, trying to kind of tradition versus, you know, new tech, because at the end of the day, this scarably wears on his back is just this, you know, advanced alien technology, but being of Hispanic heritage and how important tradition is to us. But before we talk about that, uh, you mentioned, you know, English speaking versus Spanish speaking. The other thing that's really cool about uh, the first issue, and I want to get your confirmation if this is going to be with all the issues, There's a there was an English version released, but also a, a Spanish version. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I can confirm that we're going to do Spanish language editions for all six issues, um, which is huge. Uh, DC normally doesn't, as you know, it doesn't do output like this. And so they really rallied behind the Jaime's identity and want to create something for that audience as well that's really authentic. Now, do you have followers, people that follow your work of the Hispanic heritage that are that you heard ahead of time were really excited about this? The fact they can pick it up and read it in their native language? Yeah, absolutely. Especially on like Twitter or Instagram, especially. I get contacted by a lot of artists who are based in Mexico uh, and, and South America beyond that. I'm really excited for uh, kind of the El Salvadorian community to kind of see the char new character we're introducing, the Yellow Beetle Dynastis, who is of that heritage. Um, and so just like, yeah, exposing uh, new readers to the DC universe for me is like a big thrill. Yeah. And again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about seeing representation. It's one thing to see a character of Hispanic heritage, you know, a hero in the book. But now I'm getting to read it in, in Spanish as well. It really feels like DC cares about about that readership. Right. 
Oh, absolutely. You know, I did a book for a different publisher a while ago called Dodge City. That's kind of like a dodgeball comedy. And we had a lot of Spanish language dialogue in there without translation. And for me, that was really important to catch the authenticity of the reality that we live in. You know, I live in Southern California. And so there's a lot of that kind of like, uh, you just can't hear casual Spanish all the time. You know, mm -hmm. you don't think anything of it. It's just reality. And so that's the Jaime's reality too. So I wanted to instill that in the book. So you'll see small side conversations, little exchanges that are in Spanish, uh, hopefully not too difficult to translate. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, I don't speak the language, but having grown up around it, I know enough where, you know, and plus you have the context as well. And there's always Google Translate for those of you that might need it. It's not that difficult. Yeah, I think it's a great conversation piece. You know, yeah. Sp Spanish is the second biggest language in the country. So I promise if you throw a stone, you'll find someone in your community who can help 100%. you. 100%. Well, getting back to this idea of of Jaime really being somebody much like Palmera City, who's dichotomous. Because, uh, again, growing up in that that culture where family is important, food is important, um, and it, it goes back it's such a long tradition. Tradition is such a big thing in, in the uh, Hispanic culture. But that dichotomy of this advanced alien technology, is that something that spoke to you about Jaime be beyond you sharing the heritage with him? And is that part of the reason that you chose to have Palmyra City kind of reflect that with the, the, the past and the, the future kind of in one place? Yeah, it's kind of, I think, uh, yeah, Palmyra City kind of spoke really, I wanted to craft something that fit Jaime's metaphor, I guess, more cleanly. Um, and, you know, Jaime is torn between the past and the future. And in this miniseries in particular, that's exactly where he is. And it's interesting, the uh, the scarab attached to his back, Kashida, is high-tech technology advanced way beyond anything we have on Earth. But at the same time, it's ancient. You know, it goes back thousands of years. So it's kind of interesting in that, too. There's a little bit of the old and a lot of the new going on right there. And it's all it's attached to him. And that's what separates him from a lot of heroes, too, is that he has he communicates with Kajida. They are friends. They are one, a whole unit. And that's something we don't see a lot of. Yeah. And we have this other beetle that you mentioned, the yellow beetle who shows up. Um, curious about her a little bit. And I don't we don't want to spoil because we want everybody to check it out. But curious if she's really, you know, quote unquote, bad guy, certainly an antagonist. But we see some hints in the second issue. Uh, from Dynastus and with Ted Cord coming in that there's more going on here than, than, you know, might necessarily meet the eye. So I'm very curious to see the journey that she goes on. Obviously you're going to take uh, Jaime on, on a journey here, maybe one of evolution or maturation as he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life. Uh, is Dynastus going to have a, a character arc as well? Yeah. You're going to see a lot more of her learn kind of her background. Um, I mean, it's not a spoiler. I have to say that she uh, she's El Salvadorian. She comes from El Salvador. And uh, I kind of pulled from my friends uh, who grew up in that community of that heritage. But we're going to see a lot more of her. We're going to see a couple other characters kind of related to that world as well. Um, but it was interesting to kind of give Jaime um, some mirror images of himself. You know, it's interesting to compare him to other characters that have had the Beatle uh, attached to them as well. Yeah, I think as a fan of of Blue Beetle and this kind of iteration, as opposed to Ted Cord, who, you know, kind of self-made do it yourself uh, with the technology, um, you know, somebody that that's had this ancient alien technology uh, that's super advanced, as you mentioned, but, you know, made different choices. You know, we talked about how what makes Jaime Jaime is the fact that he he got this artifact and chose to be a hero. Here's somebody who got the artifact and maybe chose a different path. I, I think that contrast can be really interesting and sort of speak to Jaime's heroism. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
it's also interesting to surround him with those legacy characters like Ted Kord, who are also Blue Beetles in their own right. Uh, so we've got a lot of Beetles running around in this miniseries. <laughs> yeah, and we have uh, Ted Kord's sister, Victoria, who uh, who shows up here. That's uh, an interesting character, it kind of expanding Ted's uh, supporting cast in a way. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Victoria and how much fun has it been kind of uh, fleshing her out? Yeah, I'm a huge Ted Kord fan. Even before uh, Jaime Reyes existed, I was reading Justice League International reprints. Uh, and I love those old stories. I love the facial expressions. I love the character acting. It's all it's all great for me. And so I wanted to include Ted in the book in a meaningful way. And, you know, Ted's often caught up in kind of the superhero element of it. You know, he he likes to go on his adventures with Booster Gold. And who's running Kord Industries kind of in his stead, but his, new, his sister, who we're introducing in this miniseries, Victoria, uh, she's definitely one of the smartest people in the DC universe. She's a futurist in a lot of ways, and she's kind of looking for ways to adapt alien tech to help humanity. I think from her perspective, it's a little uh, it's a little scary being in the DC universe. You know, you're always inv- getting invaded by by the Dominators or uh, Darkseid or whoever. And so how does humanity's only chance is to take these tools that have been thrown at them and kind of repurpose them to help help each other. Um, but she's a cool character and I'm really excited to see her story unfold through this mini series as well. And hopefully beyond. Yeah. One of the things I was struck with when she showed up in the second issue and she was talking about using this alien tech. And I think it kind of took Jaime ba- uh, back a little bit too. Cause it's like humanity doesn't always have the best track record of taking technology or, you know, or discoveries and making the best choices with them, not, not through any fault, you know, best of intentions, but these things can sometimes take on a life of, of their own. So there, I was a little trepidatious about what Victoria might be doing here. Yeah, I think uh, I think she's definitely tougher than her uh, than her sibling Ted for sure. But she also has Ted's, you know, she has Ted's mind and she has Ted to rely on as kind of like a balancing force. And so I think between the two of them, they make a great they make a great duo. But I really wanted to set her apart. She's not she's not just like Lex Luthor in a pantsuit. You know what I mean? Um, she definitely uh, has her own in- motivations and her own intentions. And she's she's looking out for Palmera City and the greater DC universe. Yeah. I'm, uh, the other thing I'm curious about her is that sibling relationship, because I think uh, as writers, that's a fun thing that you can play with. I don't know if you have siblings, but I come from a big family, you know, obviously Hispanic culture and, and heritage and whatnot. But the dynamics between brothers and sisters, it can be, especially growing up, such a kind of a love hate thing. You know, as you get older, it, it kind of the relationships mature and, and you know, you're grateful for your for your siblings. But curious to see how Ted and Victoria are going to play off each other, because, yeah, Ted can be really fun loving and almost uh, uh, uh a device for humor in, in comics. Victoria's coming across as much more straight laced, almost a straight man to Ted. Yeah, I think that's definitely the case. They do bicker like siblings do. And I wanted to, I wanted to give Ted someone to bounce off of too. And kind of, like I said, recapture uh, that kind of justice league international flair, big ex- facial expressions. Cause you know, Jaime looks up to Ted in a lot of ways and that's more of a reverential relationship. And for this miniseries, especially with the kind of threats they're facing, uh, Ted needs someone in the lab with him that he can bounce ideas off of. Yeah, you've mentioned facial pre- expressions a couple of times, and we do kind of see that with Victoria, the second issue. But, you know, you see it right from the beginning. Uh, the artist on the series, Adrian Gutierrez, is such a, a master at, at that. Uh, very expressive for Jaime, especially. Uh, it seems like most of the creative team is of uh, Hispanic heritage. Was that something that was uh, deliberate? And can you talk a little bit about the collaborative process with uh, these other creators on the book? 
Yeah, uh, so uh, this was definitely a priority of DC in particular, and our editor, Andrew Marino, he wanted to make this book as authentic as possible, especially because we're including a lot of Spanish language dialogue uh, in the book and also the Spanish language edition. So Adrian has been my Blue Beetle brother for what feels like uh, my entire life now, because we've been talking about doing this book for so long. But he is, you know, he's a rising superstar in comics, and he captures the emotion so well, whether it's the quiet moments with Superman in issue one, or whether it's these kind of more bombastic moments with Paco and Brenda or in the fight scenes. And you can definitely see kind of his influences on his sleeve. There's a lot of kind of manga influence to that. But I also think there's a lot of like American cartooning flair that pops up. He lives in Spain. So, um, you know, a lot of these characters, I don't know if he's super, super familiar with. So it's interesting to see his take on like Ted Cord, for example, or, uh, you know, this is a tease, Starfire. And so uh, even beyond that, Will Quintana really elevates Adrian's art. It makes it so dynamic and really vibrant and pleasing. Um, every time he does uh, Dynastis, the Yellow Beetle in particular, it just feels like she like glows off of the page. I don't, it's just that sheen that he's able to add into those finishes. And then uh, uh, Lucas Gattoni, our letterer, you know, he's really the unsung hero of this book. He letters the book in English and in Spanish. And, you know, he has a really playful lettering style that I think suits the book so well. The book hopefully is energetic and playful and kinetic. And I hope people really uh, appreciate what we're trying to put together. Yeah, it definitely feels very vibrant and bright colors, which, again, you know, something that kind of speaks to um, Hispanic culture and and their kind of art murals and that that sort of thing. So, yeah, I think uh, you guys are definitely vibing. Uh, and it's, it's also a very fast paced book, which kind of suits Jaime, sort of this, you know, fast talking fly by the seat of uh, his pants character. And, and you've really captured that. Uh, so we go from first issue kind of grounded family kicks him out second issue palmera city blue beetle shows up you mentioned starfire right at the end which is a gorgeous looking piece of art uh from the whole team um i mean you're trying to cram a lot in six issues is that why we're at this breakneck pace here or is it more that it kind of suits jaime as a character to to keep it moving really quickly I think it's a little of both. You know, life comes at you fast. And I definitely wanted to, to uh, show that in this miniseries and kind of throw a thing, as many things as I could as Jaime as quickly as I could. Because, you know, uh, before you know it, you're all grown up. And uh, I wanted to, to capture a little bit of that, too. So we, I want an energetic book. I want a fast-paced book. Uh, and that was really important to me. I think that, uh, you know, some books can get a little bogged down kind of in in the weight of of the the threats they're facing and it's not to say that we don't take the threats of the reach or uh what's what's to come seriously but you know we just have a different spin on it this is a this is a like i said it's a fun energetic book and we want to keep the pace going until issue six yeah i can't wait to see how it all unfolds because here's the other thing we haven't really touched on this yet about jaime and, and going back to this idea of a dichotomous character because family is so important to him, he is sort of grounded by them, both in El Paso and Palmyra City. But when you talk about this technology on his back, it is from outer space. You know, th th that's the the furthest thing from, you know, uh, I'm home with my family, you know, in Texas or wh wherever is is being out in the, in the universe fighting against the reach. These, you know, um, homicidal <laughs> in a lot of ways, aliens. Uh, is that something that we might see explored? Uh, maybe not in this, but would you have a story? you know, for the future where Jaime's out there kind of spacefaring? Oh, I would absolutely love to throw Jaime in space. And I think we're going to get a lot of cosmic energy, a lot of, we're going to learn more about the reach in this miniseries that I think we have in a long, long time. 
And we're also going to see kind of how the reach have affected other corners of the DC universe. Maybe we haven't heard about before. Um, so I'd love to throw, uh, throw Jaime in as many weird situations as possible. And I think him being a fish out of water in space is a great uh, story mine there. Fantastic. So that's a good time for me to remind all you listeners, if you're, whether you're a Jaime fan or not, you need to pick this up and check it out because it's a fantastic story. A uh, great start with the first couple of issues I've got to read. But let your retailer know that you want it. Pre-order it. Buy copies for your friends because the only way we get more is if this does well. So with that being said, is there a moment? Is there an issue? Is there a kind of a story point, Josh, that's coming up um, that you're really excited to have out there in the world and see what fan reaction? Obviously, we don't want you to spoil it for us, but is there a moment that you're highly anticipating? When? What are people going to think of this? Yeah, uh, let's see. I think the Starfire issue is definitely uh, going to be a big one for me. I'm a huge fan of the character. And, you know, the biggest question I've been getting in, she's on the cover of issue one, and she's going to play a major role in issue three. And people are like, why Starfire? And I'm like, have you, do you not realize like how much parallel she has with Jaime? She, she is, you know, she's of another alien race. She's from kind of a warlike culture. And for her to kind of take on a mentor role to Jaime for me felt really natural. So I, I'm really excited for people to see kind of what their dynamic is going to be like. And then issue five, uh, which hasn't been solicited just yet, features uh, after Jaime, perhaps my favorite DC hero of all time. And I am very, very excited for people to see to see uh, them in action. Well, Fantastic. Uh, well, I want to thank you for your time, Josh. It's been great chatting. Uh, a reminder again, listeners, go check this book out. Uh, it's fantastic and certainly a way to get uh, new readers introduced to Jaime because, as Josh said, it is very uh, new reader friendly and I think very relatable, especially for you know readers in their early 20s. They may find themselves uh, a little directionless. Uh, I, I know I was. I changed my major in college like five times. Uh, but uh, anyway, as, as we're winding down here, Josh, is there anything else you want um, readers to know about the series or, or any of your work? The, the floor is yours. Oh, no. You know, the big thing is I'm so grateful that we're able to make this miniseries at all, you know, only because of the support from people we got during Round Robin, kind of their incessant calls for for Jaime uh, is really what made DC decide to pull the trigger on this one. And I think we're really proud, Adrian and Will and Lucas and I, you know, we've come up with something that uh, is really special to us. And I think we're going to take the character forward in a big way. So I think you're going to see a lot more return to prominence for the Blue Beetle. And I think this is a great uh, entry point for, for anyone interested in the character. Well, that's fantastic, uh, Josh. Uh, good to hear. And best of luck with the series. Hope it does really well. And, uh, you know, based on the, the strength of these first couple issues, would love to see you guys, you know, uh, with a, a regular ongoing monthly. Uh, and certainly if we can see Jaime. And so, cause that, that's what I would love to see. You mentioned the, the fish out of water aspect. Uh, that would really be kind of throwing Jaime to the deep end of the pool, so to speak. I think it would be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's in my notebook for sure. <laughs> There's so much beauty and weirdness in the DC universe beyond Earth. And I can't, I hope to get to play with that someday. Fantastic. Uh, well, if people want to follow along, give you their thoughts on the book as they're reading it, is there somewhere uh, online, social media where uh, they can follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on pretty much every social media at Lost His Keys Man. So I lost my keys. <laughs> and uh, you, yeah, find me on there. Uh, it, I'm on like 10 platforms now because that's the way we do it these days. <laughs> yeah. And I'll put uh, a link to uh, at least a few of them, probably Twitter and Instagram in the show notes uh, as always, everybody. So uh, again, Josh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, first two issues are, are fantastic and I can't, can't wait to read more. No, thank you so much for your time and thanks for reading the book. Yeah. My pleasure. 
Uh, to you listeners, we want to thank you as well. We appreciate you joining us as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.